Hey everyone, I'm Bruce and you're listening to Clearly Unfiltered, a short-form podcast that offers clear, concise, unfiltered and undoubtedly flawed thoughts on how and why I'm butchering some of my own sacred cows. In each episode, as you know, I'm going to let those steaks sizzle and serve them up medium rare or blue. And now and again, well done or charred. This is the second of a three-part mini-series about sex ed. If you haven't yet listened to part one, find episode seven and listen to that first. In this episode, Ashley and I pick up where we left off and speak about the misconceptions about sex ed, how good sexual citizenship education can protect children, important insights about consent and boundaries, and the value of teaching empathy. We also speak about the importance of inclusive sexual citizenship education. No teacher wants to have a lesson that feels like you're shocking the kids, like they're scared, and then go home to this big list of emails where parents are very frustrated that you did something inappropriately. That's just not, it's not very effective use of your time. And it's just not yeah. what we want to do as teachers. It's not like I'm in my math class teaching grade seven math to grade fours. No, that doesn't yeah. seem, that doesn't seem like a productive use of my time. I wouldn't get into teaching if that was something that I really wanted to do. So, I mean, I love what you're saying there. I want to share with you what um, one prominent evangelical leader said recently on Twitter. He said, and you were speaking about kindergartners, he said, teaching kindergartners about sex is not educating, it's grooming. <laughs> and I think I shared this with you before, but his whole departure point is, is that exact thing. Like, if kids know about this stuff, you're grooming them to become sexually promiscuous or you're forcing them to choose their identity you know in, instead of just protecting them and i use inverted commas there because um i don't believe that's what it is but but that's that's what people think about comprehensive sexual education or sexual citizenship often kindergarten kindergarten reproduction is like having a chick in the class and watching it come out of the egg and having a conversation about that or like, or, or like my daughter and I just watched a video of like a baby beluga being born. And I said, that's, you know, that's how the beluga was born. She also knows that I went to the hospital to have her brother. Mm -hmm. So grandma had to come over. So we're continually having these conversations about reproduction with, if they have a brother or a sister, certainly these these kids that come into kindergarten already have a little bit of understanding about sex and sexuality and maybe they have two moms and so they've heard about the in vitro process so we just want to incorporate in an age-appropriate way these these ideas and making them sexually promiscuous there's no problem why would a kindergarten teacher want to do that with their five-year-old mm -hmm. students if you're a kindergarten teacher, you are patient, you are loving, you will tie a shoe 47 times, even though that kid unties that shoe. I don't think you get into the education profession and being a compassionate kindergarten teacher and want to do to do anything like that. It's it's much more gentle. It's much more hands-on. And, and I would argue, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ashley, but I would argue that if, if you're really part of, a, of an intentional, well-thought-out sexual citizenship program in a school and 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 you're doing that well i would argue that the stuff that kids 
are learning or the things that kids are learning in that space are actually protecting them from grooming that they're able to have agency over their bodies they understand what consent is they understand how to say no they understand what is appropriate and not appropriate because you're having those teaching moments with them that highlight those things so i would say it's what our kids need i agree we 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 would do things like secrets versus surprises so we'd have a conversation with kindergartens that would say like, we don't really keep secrets, but we can have a surprise. So that would protect them against any sort of sexual abuse that's coming, that's going on. Um, that protects mm-hmm. them from even one pair, like one, their friends saying something or doing something and saying, don't, don't say anything about this, you know? So we could have surprises for our dad on father's day. Um, but you they we're we're teaching them that they always can go to a trusted adult um if they don't feel comfortable we we talk to them about t- like being touched so like do you like being touched on the shoulder do you like being mm. touched on the arm what if someone touches you on the bum how does that feel kindergartens touch each other on the bum they play like little tag games but what yeah. if one of them you know doesn't feel comfortable with that we we're laying the framework to have those conversations so that those students so that that they know touching on the shoulder is okay, touching on the bum isn't, because then when we get to grade three, grade six, grade nine, um, those conversations, they've already felt comfortable and vulnerable enough to have that conversation. We can jump off and get into places where if in grade nine someone touches them and they, they don't have their consent, they feel complete agency to stop that. Yeah. And, and that could be in the classroom that could, or like at the school, that could be in their home. That could be at their gymnastics studio on the hockey rink. This is the sort of thing that we're we're empowering our students to just stand up for themselves and to speak up for themselves. And this question of consent is so important, you know. And I think so often we've had this conversation before. So often when you mention a word, let's say like consent, or you say you're teaching about consent, people immediately jump to the sex part of that conversation but consent goes so much deeper than that and I think if you're giving you know pre-k or kids in kindergarten grade one whatever it is wherever you are in the world if if you're giving them the language to be able to express what consent means to them that is super important like the way I grew up you like hugged everyone who wanted to hug you that was like Mm -hmm. done deal like if you didn't hug some crusty grandparent or whatever <laughs> not that I had crusty grandparents but you know what I'm saying like yeah. some old person who rocks up and just wants to like hug you if you didn't hug them you were being rude whereas I've I've said totally I've, I've set a totally different standard with my daughters I've said to them you hug who you want to hug and you have you feel no pressure to hug anyone and that includes me as their father mm-hmm. you know they don't have to hug me I'm not going to force that on them. You don't want to, that's a good training ground for, for later. If, if you're mad at someone and they want to hug you, no, I need a minute. It's showing your boundaries. Yeah. It's giving them language to say, I don't feel comfortable right now to hug you dad. And probably in 15 minutes, they'll come up to you later or the next day or something. But that's important too, to know in the moment, I don't feel like doing this one thing, but six hours later, maybe I do feel like, feel like that. That's a, yeah. that's a good point with consent too. It's like, that's the reason why 
this stuff shouldn't just be taught in the home. So I just learned consent was yes or no. Like, and do you consent to this? Yes. And sometimes it's, it was just like reading body language. So nowadays you might say like, do you consent to having sex? Um, mm. Yes or no. But we, we go through sort of a process. So we learn that there are many different layers to consent. So it would be like, we use a FRIES acronym. So like, is consent freely given? It is reversible. So you can say you consent, but then maybe three minutes into whatever's happening, you can say no. This could be sharing snacks. This could be giving your ball to your friend at recess. This could be having sex. This could be anything. So then is it informed? Do you know what you're saying yes to? The E stands for enthusiastic. There's a difference between just saying yes and I agree, or, you know, nodding your head as well. If you're, if you're sort of reading body language as your head down and then S is specific. So what do you consent to? You don't just give like a blanket consent, like, Hey, you can come over to my house. And that means tomorrow as well. And the day after and the day after, or, Oh, sure. Borrow my car. Well, then they come back a week later and ask to borrow your car. No, no. I specifically meant on Thursday at four o'clock. So if parents are teaching consent, maybe they're teaching what they learned in school or or from their, their relationships, yes or no. But now we know that there's a much more nuanced, much more specific way to teach, to teach consent. And that's why these sort of things need to happen at home and in the classroom, because your teachers are, mm. we're trained to do this. This is what we, we go to courses. You and I run a course groups where we support teachers to implement this work. So we know, for example, that from kindergarten all the way, or grade three, all the way up to grade 11, our students are learning fries. So we can build on it. It's a really rigorous way to think about consent. It isn't just yes, no. We talk about what consent looks like, what it feels like, what to do if you don't have consent. So if my feelings are hurt because I want someone to do something with me, maybe sexually or not, what do I do in that case? Or what if someone didn't consent and I do something and cross the boundary? What do I do then? So let's say it's, it's something easy with a snack. Well, maybe I could just get them a snack the next day. They didn't want me to eat their apple. I did. Okay. But what? Do, then we have conversations that says, okay, now it's bigger. It's higher stakes. We're looking at sexual relationships yeah. when we're in the, in the upper grades. We've got the training ground done from sort of grade three with fries all the way up. And now how do we, how do we have conversations and sort of work through scenarios with our students so that they have a really good understanding so they never get in a situation where they do something without consent. So I think this leads on to, and this isn't a question we necessarily prepared for, but I think it's an important one because often when we talk about this work, you know, there are, you know, you can, you can teach consent because there, there are two ways of looking at it, you know, and I think often when you speak with, with boys, and coming from being a teacher in a boys' school, they always want to know sort of what's the legal line, you know, what's right mm -hmm. or wrong in terms of the law and consent, you know. But I, I think what a good comprehensive sexual education program does, or like you refer to it, sexual citizenship program does for kids, is it brings it down to this whole idea of, of, of a moral imperative in, in the sense that like being a good person or being a good citizen is about these things, interacting with others in a way that I am acknowledging who they are and what they 
want and desire is more important than me selfishly just taking what I want. The approach is so much better, I believe, when you're saying to people, this is what it means to be a good person or a good citizen. And getting them to have the empathy to understand what it would feel like or what it does feel like when someone does something without your consent. So yeah. so looking at it from the opposite side as well. So you want to think of being the person who, who and I mostly teach, I mostly support people kindergarten to grade six, so it, it's not necessarily in a sexual context, but what does it feel like when someone does something without your consent? How do you feel in that moment? How do you communicate that in that moment? And then what do you do? So it isn't just from the side of like, okay, how can I do this without breaking the law, <laughs> which is a funny way to look yeah. at it, but it's more just like, how can I do this so that I know that that person feels respected and honored at the end of the day, the same way that I would want to feel respected and honored. Yeah. So actually I want to dive into this one, change tech a little bit. Um, why is it important to have good, comprehensive sex ed, I prefer the word sexual citizenship education. Why is that in your experience as someone who's seen this working well in a school right through from kindergarten right through to, to high school? I think that these concepts come up all the time, even if it's not in the curriculum. So you think of like even grade six, like these games of like, I don't know if you have this in South Africa. It's, it's strange to me, but like guys will like bag each other. They'll like mm. hit each other in the balls. And then it is yeah. obviously really painful. And then they have, the other one sneaks up and does it again. So these conversations <laughs> just, are so strange, uh, uh, right? I'm, I'm sure it happens here. I'm sure it I'm happens sure. all over. I'm sure. I know it happened when I was in high school and I know that it's still happening now, but like these things are coming up. And if you don't give your teacher the language and the, the leverage to have a conversation, then that teacher's just punishing, just punishing and saying, we don't either, we don't talk about it or you're in trouble because you did that. Whereas mm -hmm. if you've got teachers that are empowered to say that's a consent issue um, we need to talk to your parents about this kind of thing. We need to talk to the classroom and say, how does everyone generally feel about this game? 99% of the, the students probably feel not so great about it. Um, I just think that you need to empower your teachers to have these conversations that are coming up anyway. You can pretend like they aren't, but they are. And as well, in all of the books that we're reading, let's say you're an English teacher, in all of the books you're reading, you're teaching one just heteronormative way of being. So mm. you're teaching it in a way that's just this really narrow focus. And I don't think that honors our students. So if you're looking at sort of opening up your books to include LGBTQIA people, to um, have lots of different diverse families, even just like general diversity, lots of different cultures and ethnicities in your books, that's... That's sexual citizenship it's a, as well. Like digital citizenship falls in underneath that. We haven't spoken about that as well, but that's, it's so important to empower our students to have the tools to be, to look at the internet in a really, with a really um, a critical lens. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, you mentioned the internet and mm -hmm. a lot of the research is saying is that, that kids as young as grade four, you know, their primary source of sex ed 
if they're not getting good comprehensive sexual education at school or in the home is Pornhub because it's easily accessible. And Nine years old, right? Nine years old? Great yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I, th I think you said it once in one of our classes is, is where do we want our children to learn this stuff in a safe, affirming environment that's, you know, full of empathy? And I think there is partnership here to be had with parents, and I want to talk about parents in a minute, but we, we, we simply can't be afraid of this work. It, it is so important to empower our kids to know how to respond, to have agency over their bodies, to understand consent, both in the giving and receiving of consents, um, and how they respond to someone who draws boundaries too, I think is an important part of the consent conversation. Um, understanding understanding what is appropriate and not appropriate, um, particularly for younger kids and how adults interact with them. Um, and, and, you know, we simply don't want them learning that stuff on unfiltered and unethical kind of internet forums. Or from their friends. That's where the research says they get it. They either get it from their friends or from the internet. So do you yeah. pick and, and where are their friends probably getting it from? Exactly. <laughs> so do you pick their teacher, their friends, the internet, or their parent? And ideally, like yeah. you said, in tandem, it should be their their parent and their teacher working side by side to to make sure they have comprehensive, that word is super important, comprehensive education when it comes to the Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the last episode of this series which drops soon in the last part of the conversation we speak about how sexual citizenship in schools can promote inclusion especially for marginalized kids and we address the concerns parents might have when it comes to comprehensive sexual education i think people are scared because they're not exactly sure what's being taught they're like oh my gosh my kindergarten is being taught about sex okay what specifically because you can go look at the specific years that things are taught you can also ask your teacher for a heads up. So listen, um, you can ask the teacher for the curriculum as well. They'll send it to you. We're not hiding what we're teaching. That doesn't make much sense. 